My song might haunt your dreams Tonight I'm the man From God knows where Singer, songwriter, painter, essayist, collaborator, criminologist, folk, country, Americana, beat. All of the above, none of the above. This is Tom Russell's podcast from God Knows Where. John, welcome back with Frontera Records here again. I've got Tom Russell on the line during a quick break of his current October in the Railroad Earth Tour. How's the tour going, Tom? Fantastic. I hadn't done a concert all summer, so I was ready to get back into the ring. What's important, though, is are you selling the merch? Yes, we are. And surprisingly, I don't know how many LPs we had of October in the Railroad Earth, possibly 10 or 15 and they all sold. There was younger people in the audience, God bless them, and older people. But we're starting to get a good mix via the social media and word of mouth and podcast and Instagram and Facebook. We were sad to hear the recent passing last week of Robert Hunter, lyricist uh-huh. for the Grateful Dead. So I thought this would be a good time to maybe talk about some of your early years because I know you had a connection with Robert Hunter. And we'll get to that during this podcast, hopefully. So, you started playing in Vancouver bars before you ended up in Austin, is that right? Yeah, I uh, got back from Nigeria. I taught a year of criminology in Nigeria in 1969, which I spoke about quite a bit in the song, uh, East of Woodstock, West of Vietnam. I didn't go to Woodstock. I didn't go to Vietnam. I went to Nigeria. I had hardly knew where it was and landed in the middle of the Biafran War. So, that's when I decided to get into music and I ended up doing that song on The Letterman Show. People ask me all the time. I say, yeah, I work for this guy, Tom Russell. You might know his stuff. And they're like, where is he from? And I was like, oh, gosh. Um, well, he was from California, but then he ended up in Canada. And then I know he was in Africa for a while. And then he ended up in, and it's, you've been all over the world. Yeah, we're nomads. There's two different, I, I just read, uh, and I recommend it, um, the book Song Lines by Bruce Chatwin. It's about the aboriginals in Australia following they can walk across country via the song lines their ancestors left. You know, it's all dreamings and stuff. But there are two different types of people, he says, people who like to stay at home and nomads who like to travel. And I, so I guess I've been a nomad, and my wife Nadine has been a nomad too. And we, we feel most comfortable on the road doing shows and doing art galleries and this and that. But uh, I was raised in L.A. and then... Uh, Went to school in Santa Barbara and then went to Nigeria and then decided to go to Vancouver. Vancouver. Like, how would you say, did you throw a dart at the map and say, I'm going to go to Vancouver? No, we met a a teacher, uh, Don Dvoritz, I believe is his name, who teaches economics up there. And we became friends in Africa. And he said, come up and visit when you get back and uh, had a Volkswagen bus and went up there and Decided to stay, did various odd jobs, you know, enumerator, census taker, roofer, and started writing songs and eventually uh, said, what the hell, I like it. I wasn't avoiding the draft or anything because I, my draft number was so high, the Nigeria job got me out of it because I was in a war over there a couple hundred miles from the front. But uh, I just liked it up there. And uh Started a band. One time I was walking down Skid Row doing a census taker job, walked into a bar 
called the Golf Club, which had music all day and all night, and country band was playing or Hank Williams. So I go, that's the job for me. I mean, I just want to be up there playing. Well, got the job, put a band together after two or three months of that kind of auditioning and turned out to be uh, eight sets a night, seven nights a week. And uh, I have the set list that we worked off of in my guitar case now in a picture. We were called the Mule Train, Skid Row's finest band. And of course, you released that single strung out yeah. like the tightest wire on a barbed wire fence that we I just found that I'm, I'm building my personal bar here in Texas and with memorabilia like that and I found that single not my greatest effort but probably one of my it, first efforts and, and it, it led off the Museum of Memories CD that oh you put God. out I don't even have any idea what you're putting on there but I trust you well, that was on the first first one that we did. I, the flip, the flip side is still unreleased. Uh, other take, than a wh- take a whiff on take me. Take a whiff on me, unless you happen to have that 45, the Mule Train 45, which I've seen going on eBay for some pretty steep prices. I do have it on my wall, John. If you really want it, I'll send it to you. I think Ed Becker gave me a copy, or at least maybe I just failed to give him his copy back. We made a 45 because the owner of that bar named Marty, who liked me, he he liked me because I could bring on the strippers and the snake axe and the sword swallowers. I had a loud, resonant voice, and he, he liked me as the master of ceremonies. He funded that single, and it went on the jukeboxes in all his clubs. So that's why we uh, we did it, and uh, it was funded somehow because Canadians really support their music. So I got a fund to make the thing, and we were off and running. But the, the basic thing about those clubs, the same bars Ian Tyson came out of 10, 12 years before, was it was a start. All the other guys in the band really got depressed after a while. We're working in a whorehouse and all this and violence and. I just thought there's no way forward but out of here. But I really learned my chops there. And then later in uh, Norway, where I used to play a lot. But before you went to Norway, you went to Austin, correct? Yeah, what happened was... <laughs> I mean, you, I you sort to... of go from the north all the way to the south. You're all over the map. Well, here's what happened. I had a couple weeks off. I said, you know, I'm going to check out some other scenes. I had heard about the bludgeoning Austin outlaw country thing that Willie had just moved there in towns and Guy Clark and people like that. And so I got a Greyhound bus Ameripass ticket, which cost, I think it was a hundred, 150 bucks where you could go anywhere in North America in two weeks. So I had a bottle of my little bottle of wine and some clothes and I stayed in YMCA's and I went across Canada, went down to Chicago and finally Nashville great thing about Nashville is I snuck into the Grand Old Opry's gospel show with the Reverend Jimmy Snow, Hank Snow's son, and he was preaching, and on the, right next to me, standing there ready to go on, was Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jew Boys. Kinky had told this guy that he sang only gospel music, which was a bit of a fib. He's a bit and, of a, he stretches the stories sometimes. Yeah, Kinky's a friend, yeah, but, uh, he went on and started singing gospel music, and then he brought out Dobie Gray, who had the big hit with Drift Away. So you had a black guy and a Jew, and Reverend Jimmy Snow didn't know what to do. The first time on our <laughs> stage, we have a real Jew, and I'm proud, and blah, blah, blah. It was a real redneck thing, and Kinky's laughing. I snuck out while during all the pandemonium and sang 
Amazing Grace in the background. I, I told Kinky about that later, and he couldn't believe it. But that was 1971, 72. And then I rolled through Austin, Texas. I liked it. I thought, man, something's happened here where I can move forward as a songwriter. And uh, Now, did you meet Nancy when you were in Nashville? Nancy no, Griffith? Nancy didn't live in Nashville yet. I met Nancy Griffith at the Kerrville Folk Festival, where we're jumping a little bit forward, but I was already playing with Patricia Harden. We were doing a duo, and we'd already won the New Writers Awards at the famous Kerrville Folk Festival in, Jesus, I don't know, must have been 73. Well, everybody goes out by campfires after the concerts, and uh, you play guitar all night, you know, back in the days when you would do that, pass the guitar. And I noticed this gal, young gal, at the edge of the fire with a big guitar, who everybody was ignoring, turned out to be Nancy. I said, let her sing one. Well, long story short, she sings a song, which later I think I recorded, If I Was a Child. And she blew us all away, and I hired her to, uh, we hired her to open some little shows for us in cafes around Houston and uh, Austin. She's originally from somewhere outside of Austin or Houston. So she was only 17, 18. And uh, yeah, we, we've got some... Uh, tapes from the Kerrville campfire with you and Nancy. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. She credits me now. I mean, if you go on YouTube and Tom Russell, Nancy Griffith, there's out of her documentary, she goes, and I'm not trying to brag, but she is, as Tom Russell did more for my career than anybody. And I'm happy of that. The funny ending of the story was maybe 15 years later, I noticed I was opening for Nancy. She was playing the biggest halls in Europe, the Royal Albert Hall. She had a crew of 20 people. Odetta was with her, Dave Van Rock. So Yeah, one of my favorite memories was getting to be at the Dublin Opera House and being backstage, and there's uh, Carolyn Hester and Odetta, and Donovan was there. And, and Unbelievable that I got to know these people, most of them, like Odetta and Dave, who aren't with us anymore. I got to sing with Donovan in uh, Ireland. He walks out on stage. He's singing next to me. I got to sing with Emmy Lou Harris. She became a friend. I recorded her Red Dirt Girl later, and she said she really likes my song, Guadalupe. So I really met a lot of great people on those tours. Well, I didn't mean to get us off track as far as the timeline goes. So you ended up in Austin. and Yeah, I ended up in Austin. Again, I had to work odd jobs to get by. I was cleaning out a theater, and I saw this honky-tonk band. Uh, I don't know what they were called. But they're pretty good. Three guys and a gal playing piano. The piano player was incredible, and that was Patricia Hard. Classical career, graduated from uh, Baylor, I guess, in Waco, Texas. Really could play. She was just learning her country and folk chops. So I became a singer in the band and uh, the lead guy because I could do that. And uh, although she, her vocals were great too, and we decided to split from the band and form a duo. And that duo became pretty successful real quick we played the armadillo beer garden and then we started touring and uh we made our own first record ring of bone named after a lou welch poem uh he's a beat poet and put it out on our own label whatever it was burrow zero or something and it got reviewed in rolling stone and uh things started happening we won the kerrville folk festival new writers both of us I won the 1974 American Song Festival, which was was a pretty big deal. Now, was that and, the one that the Hager brothers? The Hager brothers song? did my song into the trail, and they they butchered it, but they re-recorded it for the record. And 
you know, they gave you a goodly amount of money and flew you back to Saratoga Springs for a T- ABC TV show. It was a very big deal, uh, kind of like a major step up. And God, you know, I wasn't that prepared. At the same time, I also won the first and only Woody Guthrie Songwriter Award and and uh, for an Indian song of mine. And I have the statue right here. It's uh, I'm, I'm looking at it in my bar. It's a three-foot statue ceramic of a troubadour made by Woody's niece. And so everything was happening at once in between uh, 73, 74, 75, and we were offered a record deal by Vanguard, who had, they, they had turned down Bob Dylan, but they had Joan Baez, oh God, lots of good people. And uh, they gave us some money to do demos and blah, blah, blah. And we sort of blew the deal. But now what about Wax Museum? Was that... Had that That's come out. What happened there? <laughs> that was the second record. At Bernie Kraus, who had also been in the Weavers, he replaced Pete Seeger, I think, is also known now for Beaver and Kraus, who invented the Moog synthesizer or something. And he also is a wildlife recorder, very famous. We wanted Bernie as a producer on our Vanguard record. Vanguard didn't want Bernie. There must have been something personal there. But uh, so they dropped us before they even put anything out. And uh, Bernie produced a wax museum, and I guess we put it out on our own label again, and it did pretty good. We and then we formed a band, and that's where things got pretty heavy. So down in the Frontera warehouse, I was digging through some old reel-to-reel tapes, and I found one. I know Shipwreck Kelly, the song that we put on Museum of Memories. I at the time, I when I wrote the liner notes, I said that it, from what I understood, it was from that Vanguard recording so there could have been it was shipwreck kelly see if i i have a cloudy memory but i think i wrote that in vancouver about a real real guy ship and i carried it over to harden and russell well i was the the box i have says de young canada number two and then there's four songs on it three of which i've never heard of before and i haven't um we bought a reel-to-reel tape player so we can pull these things off one Some of those would have been from a demo session in Canada before I hit Texas, but I may have re-recorded one or two of them with Patricia for well, so Shipwreck Kelly. I, I just remember that's about a real guy. That's about all I remember. And there's Jessica's song, I assume, maybe about your daughter? Yeah, my oldest daughter, um, Jessica, yeah. And there's one called, let's see, Windows Mirrors? Yeah, I can't quite pull that one up. And Texas Turnaround. That would come around from the Harden and Russell days. There was many songs about Texas because we ended up leaving Texas in 75, I believe. We moved to San Francisco. She is, I was married and she was, her marriage had broken up and she, she got an apartment in San Francisco and I lived down the coast in Mountain View. And we still did gigs. And then we started putting a band together. And, and well, now the Leave in Texas song that was on Museum Volume 2, um, that I'm not sure where that came from either, but it was uh, definitely with Patricia. That was a pretty good song. I remember that's when we left Austin and moved to San Francisco. And we were doing pretty well. We had a regular gig at a place called The Last Day Saloon. And next door to The Last Day Saloon was a comedy bar called Holy City Zoo where I ended up after Harden Russell broke up bartending for a while. And uh, I met Robin Williams, who would come in there and do his 
get his chops together. And that's a whole other story. But uh, we worked bars, concerts opened for people. We opened for Brownie McGee and Sonny Terry, which was an outrageous story because Brownie and Terry hated each other at that point. And Brownie didn't show up. Sonny wanted me to play behind him. And I was terrified because the blues fans weren't really buying us anyway. And right at the last minute, Brownie comes in and they play. But we, we did a lot of funny opening gigs and we had a, we started a band and we did a lot of auditions. We got a famous drummer. A lot of those early psychedelic San Francisco bands had broken up, so a lot of great musicians were looking for any kind of work, and we had work. And that's when we, and here comes our transitional point before Harden and Russell broke up, hired a guy who walked in one day with a Telecaster, no guitar case, long blonde hair. Well, his name was Robbie Hodnot. We didn't know who he was. He played with a Grateful Dead offshoot band called Kingfish. Bob Weir was in it. Robbie just died a few years ago. He had a, he had a lot of dr drug problems, and he ended up on the street, more or less. But uh, the guy could just blow the roof off. He was way above us. He was playing Mystery Train to warm up, and we go, holy God. Well, of course, through Robbie, I, I'd already heard of Hunter, but I heard a bunch of Robert Hunter stories that Robert was the great lyricist who wrote, you know, Friend of the Devil and all those. And uh, But Robbie just became too much, you know. He, he had a, he had to go to a drug clinic and things started missing. I don't want to diss the guy too much because he was great. So, uh, And finally, uh, Hardin and Russell broke, broke up. We just kind of hit the wall. And but I, so uh, you're still in California at this time. Yeah, but... Uh, and of course, I worked in the comedy bar. Worked in the comedy bar three or four months, and then decided through another friend, a journalist, to move to New York. And that's so you threw another dart at the map and said, "Yep, here comes." No, I knew some, we had a few friends back there, and I thought, "Why not?" I don't know. Drove across country, and again worked odd jobs. I I kind of had had enough of the music business for a while. I wanted to restart rejack it up you know and that's when i started that's that leads us to driving taxi and you were and, in brooklyn uh, at the time yeah uh, well rockaway park for a while which is out by jfk it's just where i worked for the taxi service because it was owned by a friend who was a musician he knew i needed money uh his name was harold and hired me but i had to work from six at night till six in the morning and it kind of shattered my nerves for a long time. That after that, I ended up uh, on the road to Bayamon in Puerto Rico for a month playing with a yeah, disco I, I, band backing me. But that's a whole other story. But that's that leads us to the Robert Hunter. Well, you really do hop the globe. I mean, there you are. And we had mentioned all these other places. I totally forgot about the Puerto Rico. Yeah, thing. yeah, I did. And uh, we still moved. We just moved to Texas uh, in January. And we also have a a place in Switzerland, because my wife Nadine, as you know, is originally from there. It allows us to work Europe easier. And so we rotate now three times a year because we're nomads. But uh, I think we're pretty settled in Texas and Switzerland. And uh, as long as I can write and create and paint. So we stopped in New York there. All right. So we're driving a taxi. You're out of the music yeah. business completely. And yeah, I had already written... Gallo del Cielo, that year I took off, 1978. Now, there was a single 45 of that. Was that something you had done after? That was that was Ian Tyson's version. It was a Columbia. Tyson heard the song as a demo in 79. He didn't have a record deal. 
he wanted to do a record, a song demo record with me, Tim Williams, Richard Dobson, and one other guy, and sell our songs to people. And then it almost happened. But then later, after the Hunter story in 86, Tyson put it on his first cowboy record, Old Corrals and Sagebrush. So Gallo had already started off. But when I was at the cab, must have been 1980, 81. And it was far Rockaway, and I was driving around. It must have been midnight, and I noticed on the marquee of a theater, Robert Hunter solo. Okay, so I drive by, and about 10 minutes later, I get a call to go to the theater and pull up, and out steps this guy. He's got a bottle of Jack Daniels and a cigarette holder, and he looks like a mad professor. And I know right away it's Hunter. I'd seen pictures of him. He hops in the cab, and I go, Jesus, holy shit takes off we, we we have a conversation he was a very nice guy and i said and this is astounding to me now that this could happen but i said yeah i write songs too now the normal guy whether it was dylan or anybody if it was me i'd probably say yeah 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 well yeah you get that all the time yes i do and we get tapes and and i try always to put them aside and listen to them and whether i like the song or not i always try to say good job good but I rarely record anything anybody's going to hand me because I have so much going. But So he says, oh, you write songs. Sing me one of your songs. And I goes, what? I go, well, <laughs> I have this song that's getting good reaction called Gallo del Cielo. And he, he said, well, something like Rooster from Heaven. Huh? He goes, yeah. Well, the true story is I started singing it and he started trying to help me. Well, you could change that. And he goes, God, just sing the song. I shouldn't be messing with you. The song lasts seven minutes. I sang it a cappella as we're rolling along. He goes, you wrote that? I go, yeah, yeah, a couple years ago. He goes, sing it again. We go past his hotel. The meter says 40 bucks. He goes, do you have a tape of it? I go, yeah, back at my house in Rockaway. He goes, let's go get it. I'll pay the cab fare. I, I couldn't believe it was happening. <laughs> so we drive back. I get under the bed and find the cassette, take it out, give it to him. He goes, I'm going to play this for the Grateful Dead and the new writers. I mean, this is an incredible song. I love it. And I dropped him off. We said goodbye. He gave me a hug and bang, he's gone. Well, I just, I was, my head was spinning. I thought, that's a great story, man. But I won't ever hear from him again. But it's just such a great story. And I was kind of really rolling along for a couple of days when he called me. And he said, well, the dead love it, but they're not recording the New writers are not recording, but everybody loves the song. But I'm playing at the Bitter End in New York, Greenwich Village, in a couple weeks. Why don't you come down on me? Which I did. And I hadn't played music for three or four months and a little rusty. And audience full of deadheads, reverent, quiet. Robert's going over great. About a quarter way through his set, he goes, you know, I heard this incredible song in a cab few weeks ago i mean incredible i'm beaming i've already had a drink or two and he goes instead of me talking about let's why don't we get the guy up here to sing it and i go oh my god <laughs> it's not only hard to remember even to this day although i've been doing it now but uh you know he hands me his guitar totally unexpected you, you you can do it and i'm looking out this deadhead audience who are reverently silent going "Ooh, robert likes him so I immediately have a little deadhead audience if I can pull this off. And uh, I got through the song pretty well, you know, just gutting it out. And they applaud. 
And some guy yelled, do another one. I looked around to give Robert the guitar and he wasn't there. He was looking at me from the dressing room, just nodding like, do another one. Wow. Wow. So I did two more and they they loved it. They go, you love it. And he came back on stage and said, I knew you could do it, kid. And it sounds like something, a dream right now, you know, it'll make my eyes well up with tears that somebody would do that is unimaginable. And he changed my life. And then he said, I'm coming back again in a couple weeks to play the old Lone Star Cafe on Fifth Avenue. Why don't you open the show? So bang, I'm back in the music business because of Robert Hunter. And that's how I met Andy Harden. I put an ad in the in the local paper or whatever, whatever it is. I can't remember the name, but the uh, music paper for a guitar player. We rehearsed. I taught him Gallo and eight or nine others, which you have on Museum of Memories, I think, from that show. And I have, yeah, the... Uh, Cross of Guadalupe. Cross of Guadalupe. And um, I just, when I was down in the basement, of, I'm sorry, the warehouse the other day, uh, I found um, an, another tape. And it was unmarked, and we put it on, and it's um, Cross of Guadalupe, you and Andy rehearsing it in, in a, I guess, yes. a home and studio. Andy, Andy was in my position. He he was in a great, a, a bunch of bands. He played drums in Hawaii. He played, learned lead guitar in D.C. He was a good friend of Bill Kirchin, who's on my current record, October in the Railroad Earth. And Anyway, Andy was a great guitar player, but he was also, by the way, driving Taxi. He was driving taxi in New York City and was driving him nuts. And he said, come on, man, you've got great songs. Let's do this. Let's just continue on. And the first gig was opening for Hunter. Hunter gave us a lot of great words and introduction, and we did real well. And bang, that was the re-jump start of my career. And uh, Andy and I worked together, I don't know, what, 20 years or something, and made a bunch of records. He's still down the road in Texas, Wimberley, Texas, and... He played on Old Songs Yet to Sing, that record you put out last year, I believe, of the Tom Russell songs Revisited, still available, I think, on Frontera. FronteraRecords.com. Yes, FronteraRecords.com. So that was the third encounter with Hunter. That was a, Now, then I never saw him again. We corresponded, email mostly. He'd usually say, or guys would ask him about that taxi ride. He goes, whatever Tom said is true. <laughs> and he he never he never ever you know like he was just an honest good-hearted guy and the next thing that happened and the last thing was and i have a little cassette tape here is he shows up at the glastonbury festival in england in front of ten thousand people and sings gallo del cielo and if i could hit the button here or send you the tape or something he says i was in a cab and blah 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 and I heard this incredible song. This is not my song. This is a Tom Russell song. He says that twice. And I also have a, a dub of that tape that was down in the warehouse. See if you can it, hear this. One yeah, second, let, let, why don't you try playing it, and then um, maybe I can pull this no, off. No, I'm going to play a few seconds of it. Yeah, let, let's hear it. I'm about to go in uh, Far Rockaway. It's in Queens, uh, uh, south side of New York. And after the gig... I got picked up by a taxi driver, drive me back, and we started talking music, and uh, he, he sang this song that he had written, and uh, I liked it enough that I had him turn around, go back to his house, get the words down for me, and uh, this is it, it's by Tom Russell, this is not by me, this is by Tom Russell. All the Saragossa left his home in Castro, when the moon was full, 
Now I'm going to stop the tape because it's running fast. I got a crappy little cassette machine here. I'm going to see get... if I can pull it off and uh, maybe we can tack it onto the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but that's it. He, he was so generous at that point, not only to jumpstart my career, but to say, this is not my song. This is a Tom Russell song. So he was going extraordinarily out of his way to uh, pump me, to pump my career. And that song, because it's been covered maybe a hundred times, Joey Lee, Ian Tyson, Katie Lee and others. So I was back on my way. And since then I've been and that led, to, that led to recording Hard on a Sleeve, and it had a version of Gaio yes. on it. Yes, recorded it with the Tom Russell band. And uh, and it had um, later. Sean Colvin with you in the studio. Yeah, that Hard on a Sleeve, Sean Colvin was there, and uh, lots of guest artists. Larry Campbell might have been there. There was a lot of great country artists living in New York at the time because of the uh, Urban Cowboy movie, really, for several years made country music and line dancing and fiddles take off. And it's where I met Fats Kaplan, who's now touring with John Prine and tons of other people. But uh, I, we immediately put a great band together and made our living out of New York and then went to Norway and worked there several times a year. Well, I know you've got to get going, and I appreciate you taking the time to call in and talk about all this. You've got some great stories, amazing stories, people you've met over the years. I feel like we're just barely scratching the surface of some of them. Well, you know, and uh, we're just starting to do our podcast. We hope people spread the word about the podcast, about Facebook. We did a good post on Hunter last week that went astral, thanks to people like, uh, I think, Tony Brown, a great singer from San Francisco. She spread the word. There was a thousand shares or something. So people can check out our Facebook, Instagram, and podcast, but also check in with John personally at FronteraRecords.com and, uh, and TomRussellArt.com, and we'll keep the podcast going. We appreciate it. Thanks for calling in, Tom. Thanks, John. Thanks, Buck. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. I was playing a gig a couple of, about a month ago in uh, Far Rockaway. It's in Queens, uh, uh, south side of New York. And after the gig, I got picked up by a taxi driver, drive me back, and we started talking music. And um, he, st he sang this song that he had written. And uh, I liked it enough that I had him turn around, go back to his house, get the words down for me. And uh, this is it, it's by Tom Russell. This is not by me, this is by Tom Russell. All of Zaragoza left his home in Casas Grande when the moon was full. No money in his pocket, just a locker of his sister frame and gold. He rode into Oslego, stole a rooster called Gael de Cielo. Then he crossed the Rio Grande with that chicken nestled deep beneath his arm. Now come, Gael de Cielo was a rooster born in heaven, so the story goes. His wings, they had been broken, he had one eye rolling crazy in his head. He fought a hundred fights, and the legends say one night outside of Swago. They fought Cielo seven times, seven times he left brave roosters dead. Hola, my Teresa, I am thinking of you down San Antonio. I have twenty-seven dollars, and the good luck of your picture framed in gold. Tonight I'll bet it all on the fighting spurs of Gael Daisy. 